Hey, and thanks for tuning in. At Northgate, we're passionate about helping people become who God purposed them to be. We hope that this message encourages and blesses you today. Stay tuned after for more ways to connect. Right, good morning. It's so good to see you today. Welcome to Northgate if we haven't met. Uh, my name is Steve Perkins. I am one of the pastors. It's a privilege to have you here today. I'd love to meet you just outside those doors after the service. Uh, today, uh, this morning, we have a handful of students receiving their first communion at this service. And last night, very exciting for them. So a warm welcome uh, to you kids. And to your families, we will celebrate you and pray for you a little later in the service. Believe it or not, as you heard in the announcements, we are only a couple of weeks away from Easter. We'll have five identical services. Start asking God who it is he wants you to invite to Easter here at Northgate this coming Easter, okay? Ask God, who do you want me to, to invite? And when he tells you, invite them. Um, and you can use these cards, as you heard in the announcements, and you'll receive these by the doors as you leave. It's very rare these days to get a handwritten note from someone. And so maybe this is a tool that you will use to invite someone who is far from God into a relationship with Christ and to you uh, here at Northgate, to be with you here at Northgate this Easter. Also, as always, as soon as possible, even uh, right now in your seats, I give you permission, RSVP online after uh, the service at the welcome desk, where right now, like I said, RSVP as to which service you will be attending on Easter. It really does help us prepare. It really does help us make room for your guests. We have never run out of room as a result of the system. We've come very close. I think once we were down to one seat, but it really does help us plan and help us think through different scenarios. So RSVP ASAP. Uh, thank you in advance for doing that. In the meantime, uh, we continue our series, What Difference Does Easter Make? And rem remember, the design of the series is to get you ready for this big upcoming Easter weekend. And with that, I have one, one more announcement. One of the best ways to prepare for anything God wants to do, in my experience, is fasting. Fasting. So uh, listen up. We, we've talked about this in previous years. Here's what I want you to do. I'd like you to consider fasting in some way, shape, or form during Holy Week next week, starting Saturday, if you normally attend Saturday, or Sunday, like today, whatever works best for you. So not, not today, but a week from today, start fasting. And if you're new to fasting, here's how it works. Choose a fast that works for you. We all have different walks with Christ, different responsibilities, different jobs, schedules, energy levels, health, whatever you choose, your fast should be a challenge to you. If it's a challenge to someone else, but not to you, then it's not really going to be an effective fast. So why do I, why, why do I want to fast, people ask. Maybe you're asking that. Why fast? Well, Jesus said, when you fast, 
Okay, not if you fast, but when you fast. She assumed we would fast. And so the goal of fasting is to draw close to God. Now, keep in mind when I say that, that God is always close to us, always. Nothing can change that. But we are not always close to him. Stuff gets in the way, doesn't it? Life and busyness and sin. And fasting is one of those spiritual disciplines that helps get some of that negative stuff in our lives out of the way. And there's all kinds of information about how to do this on your Northgate app, on our website. Also at the welcome desk, we have paper copies. And, 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 and when you go to that app or, or, or to that sheet of paper or to the website, at the top of the list, you're going to find some suggestions. For example, you're going to find a fast called the Daniel fast. It's based on the Old Testament character of Daniel, who eats only vegetables and water. Uh, His fast is 21 days long in another part of the book of Daniel. And while it doesn't give a specific list of foods uh, that that he avoided, it does say that he avoided all choice foods, such as cheese and sugar and stuff like that. So if you're going to do the Daniel fast, uh, buckle up. It means no meat, (laughs) no dairy, no sugar, no wine. Are you ready? No coffee. Some of you just said... Scratch that one, not doing that. But you can do it. I've done it, I've done it and I love coffee. Juice, uh, I'm sorry, just fruits, vegetables, and, and, and water. My, my family and I with uh, some others had, had dinner uh, the other day with someone who was supposedly on the Daniel fast, but he, he was sitting there drinking a glass of wine and eating a steak. And uh, it was the, his first day of the fast. And I said, I don't think you're grasping <laughs> Um, this, um, the, this fast, I, I, the, the concept of it. But that's, that's the Daniel fast. Another idea is, the, is a juice fast, self-explanatory, just drinking bucketfuls of juice uh, day after day throughout the week. Sounds kind of good to me. A water fast, that's another idea. Maybe not the whole week. Some people will do it uh, the, the whole week, but maybe just a day here and there where you drink only water, and you don't eat anything uh, at the same time. Now, obviously, you do not have to fast, okay? That needs to be said. We are not doing this because immediately our minds go to this place. We are not doing this to earn brownie points with God, okay? Some of well, if I fast, maybe God will like me more. That's not why we're doing it. God loves you as much as he will ever Love you, but I'd encourage you, nevertheless, to give it a try. Pick something that works. Give up coffee, maybe. Give up social media. Uh, give up meat. Give up TV. If you're a bookworm, give up reading. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Just pick a fast and go. And we'll start that again this coming weekend, Saturday or Sunday, and we'll break that fast on Easter weekend. Sound good? Eh, yeah. <laughs> It never sounds good, does it? We never like denying ourselves. I never got, ooh, boy, I'm going to be fasting this week. But man, the payout, I'm telling you, is huge. And you will be so glad you did it. All right, so back to that question. What difference does Easter make? We're answering that question from the perspective of three different biblical characters The centurion last week, and you can find that message online, the centurion is that man who stood at the the cross, he stood looking at the crucified Jesus, and he said, surely this man was the son of God. And so for the centurion, Easter demonstrated the character of God. We'll look at Barabbas next week, a revolutionary, a criminal who gets set free in exchange for Jesus. 
and you'll learn all about him. But in the meantime, Joseph today, Joseph of Arimathea. And his story can be found in all four Gospels, all four descriptions of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Before the crucifixion of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea is what we might call a secret Christ follower. He hails from a tiny little town in the hill country of Judea called Arimathea. And that's, of course, how he gets his name, Joseph of Arimathea. We use last names today. My name is Steve Perkins. The ancients have other means, hometowns, your father's name, your profession. For example, in the, in the first century, I would have been Stephen of Ramsey. I like that. It sounds very regal. Right. Or Stephen, son of Gregory. Or my favorite, Stephen, the preacher. You know, so whatever, you know, Joe the plumber, I mean, that, whatever your profession was, um, whatever the name, Joseph, Luke tells us, is a member of the council. He's a member of the council that plots against Jesus. And yet at the same time, as I just mentioned, the gospel of John says Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, secretly because he feared the Jews. And that's because Joseph is a Jew himself. And not just an everyday, run-of-the-mill kind of uh, Jewish guy, but like I said, a member of this leadership council called the Sanhedrin. It's the Jewish high court, 71 members, including the high priest. But because the Romans are in charge in Jesus' day, not the Jews, we talked about that last week, the Sanhedrin serves as more of a powerless advisory council. I remember the church my wife and I attended when we first got married. My wife worked there, in fact, youth ministry. And in many churches, you got to know, if you want to know where the power is at, it's in the choir, okay? It's, it, it, it's in the choir. If you want to know who's really in charge, you look at the Choir, and some of you, you, you just don't know what that means. But uh, on a side note, I had a pastor friend who, who fired his choir director. Pastor Dave and I were out to lunch with him. True, true story, this choir director had been there 40 years. She had worked at the church 40 years. And he said, I, I just fired her. Everything's going fine. D pastor Dave and I got in the car, and I looked at Dave, and I said, he's toast. Uh, <laughs> Six months later, guess what happened? The pastor was out, the choir director was back in. <laughs> so I'm telling you, you don't mess with the choir. Now let me just say, not Northgate's choir, okay? Nicest group of people in the history of uh, the, the world. I mean, Arlene's not that nice. But everybody else <laughs> is nice. <laughs> and they're very good at what they do. But this group, <laughs> in, I love you, this group in <laughs> this other church we were attending, bad to the bone. I mean, to make things worse, they couldn't even sing. They, they were, and they were terrible people. Everything the pastor did, and I wasn't the pastor, okay? I just attended this church. Everything the pastor did, that choir, they would criticize him. They'd be sitting there in the choir loft uh, behind him, scowling. Making, making uh, the, the worst imaginable faces. And so I, you know, being a good, uh, faithful churchgoer, I nicknamed, nicknamed them affectionately the Sanhedrin. Uh, they love that name, believe me. <laughs> but it, it, I know, I know, grow up. But it, it, they deserved that name. They earned that name. 
So Joseph is in the choir, okay? He's one of the bad guys, sort of, as we'll see. He's, he's a prominent man. He's respected, so influential, he'll have direct access to the Roman governor himself, Pontius Pilate. Joseph is a mover and a shaker, but he's a part of this kind of wicked group of people, and yet Luke describes him as a good and upright man. Luke also mentions, and this is why I said sort of bad, that Joseph is not a part of the political plotting and the political maneuvering that leads Jesus to the cross. He had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea. We've covered that already. And he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, and it seems to me he found it in Jesus. So Joseph of Arimathea, he's not going to go along with his colleagues. He doesn't bribe Judas, so he'll betray Jesus. He doesn't send armed troops to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? Nor does he round up false witnesses. Remember, it's, it's, it's the Sanhedrin who plays on the emotions and passions of the crowd on Good Friday. It's this religious council. They're the ones who incite a riot, demanding that Pontius Pilate crucify Jesus, even after Pilate has found Jesus Not guilty, basically. But Joseph's not a part of that. He in no way consents to the crucifixion of Jesus, but, 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 but. At the same time, Joseph doesn't contest the actions of the Sanhedrin either. And what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. There is no mention anywhere in the New Testament that Joseph ever speaks a word in Jesus' defense. And that's very important. Let me tell you another fun story. I remember math class, middle school, eighth grade, substitute teacher. Uh, she, she, she steps out of the room, and because it's middle school, you know, all hell breaks loose. Paper clips start flying. Now, Terry... Uh, the cool kid. We have a pastor, Terry, here. Not so cool. Not to uh, uh, listen to you. Know, so defensive. You know, yes, he's cool. You know, hey, of course, yeah, he's cool. Okay? All right. So Ter- Terry, the cool kid, not Pastor Terry, um, he, he launches a paperclip in my direction, and it squarely lands on my forehead. I'm impaled. Okay? Blood dripping down my face. The substitute comes back in. She asks, who did this to you? I don't answer. Terry's one of the most popular kids at school, okay? Whereas I am not. (laughs) I know that shocks you. And ratting out Terry will not in any way help me climb that next step on the social ladder that I so desperately want to climb. But the substitute is persistent. She asks again, who did this? And I'm thinking, leave it alone, lady. You know, leave it alone. Just sit there, you know, silent, playing stupid. Finally, another kid in my absence cries out, Floyd did it. Not Terry, but Floyd, okay? Now, nobody likes Floyd, okay? Before you feel sorry for him, and before you make me out to be an evil villain in this story, I just want to tell you, Floyd was a bully, okay? Um, He isn't popular, though, at the same time. He is the opposite of popular. And in my middle school in Reno, Nevada, okay, Reno is a tough 
tough town. How tough is it, you ask? They, <laughs> I'm on a roll today. They, we had a gang in my middle school. I'm not kidding. We had a gang. How tough is it? Another joke. But it's not a joke. It's, it's, it's true. It was so tough that my principal was doing hard time for assaulting a woman. It's true. My, and he was still the principal. They hadn't fired him yet. Okay? It was a tough, tough school. Okay? It was a dog-eat-dog -dog world, every man for himself. Now, Floyd naturally protests. He denies it, of course, but he's sent to the principal's office nevertheless. And later that day, Terry uh, has his first moment of conscience ever, a very uh, rare moment for him, and he turns himself in along with the rest of us, and we all get in trouble. Now, in my defense, okay, in my defense, I wasn't the one who said Floyd did it. I didn't verbally consent to Floyd taking the rap and going down to the principal's office. But at the same time, the substitute was happy to point out, I was still guilty. I just sat there, right, and watched an innocent man about to hang. <laughs> and it helped that I didn't like him and made it easier. <laughs> but I stayed silent, right? While one kid got in trouble for something another kid had done. Well, at a more serious level, that's Joseph. He believes in Jesus. He even regards himself as a follower of Jesus. But now when it really counts, when he has some say and, and, and power in helping Jesus, he chickens out and he takes the fifth. Joseph has influence. He can challenge the tone of the proceedings. He can cross-examine the false witnesses. He can protest the lack of evidence. You see, Joseph has every opportunity, in a sense, to stop the crucifixion of Jesus, or at least try to stop it. Only he doesn't do a thing. One Bible commentator puts it this way, what a difference it would have made to Jesus. If among those condemning, condemning voices, one voice had been raised in his support. What a difference it would have made for Jesus to see loyalty on one face amidst the sea of disloyal faces. But Joseph was afraid. He's afraid. So he says nothing. Maybe he never even shows up to the meeting. What difference will one voice make, he says. Or maybe he does attend but doesn't vote. I'll abstain, he says. After all, one vote for Jesus against the entire council won't make a difference, will it? Whatever his thinking, whatever the justification, Joseph of Arimathea will not step in. And so, thank God, he doesn't. Jesus is crucified and... We are grateful he's crucified. Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Joseph sees it all. You know, when Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, denies Jesus, you maybe remember the, the cock crows. Remember the rooster crows three times. Well, my guess is the rooster crows for Joseph of Arimathea too. It's a denial by silence. You know, in the church, we so often talk about a personal relationship with God. 
And there's value in that, believe me. I'll be the first person to tell you there's value in that. We all do, in fact, need a personal relationship with God. It can't be my parents' faith that I rely on or my grandparents' faith or my children's faith. It's got to be my own. But at the same time, I think we have taken it a little bit too far. We've taken this notion of a personal relationship with God to mean it's nobody's business but mine. Never discuss religion or politics in polite company, the saying goes. But if we learn anything from Joseph of Arimathea, Jesus is someone who cannot remain private. He's got to go public, too. What difference does Easter make? Are, are you ready? Here's, here's my driving point today. Easter makes a relationship with God public. It makes the private public. It certainly did for Joseph of Arimathea later on, as we will see. And I just want to stop there for a moment and say, parents, let me talk to you for, for just a moment. Grandparents, too. Your relationship with God isn't a private thing. It's a public thing. It's not enough to pray on your own. It's not enough to read the Bible on your own or to go to church on your own. No, it's your job, your primary function as a parent, as a grandparent, as a great-grandparent, as an aunt, as an uncle. Your primary function in your family is to share Jesus with those kids. To go public in your family. And I'm excited about First Communion today because that's what our First Communion parents have been doing these past weeks. A lot of churches, the kids will come to a class and the pastor stands up there and you know, goes on and on and on and on. And, 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 and we, we, I mean, we, we do meet with the kids and different things like that. But, but in our church... The parents teach the kids. In our church, the parents prepare the kids for First Communion at home. They're the ones studying the the material. They're the ones talking about their own relationships with God. They're the ones praying with their kids. And that's the way it should be. That's the way it used to be. And I'm perplexed, even in this church, how many parents in our church give their kids the choice Do you want to go to church today or not? It's up to you. And I hear that as a parent, and I think, are you kidding me? I mean, you don't do that with other things when it comes to your kids. You know, hey, "Hey, son, do you want to go to school today? No? Okay, cool. That's cool. You don't have to go to school if you don't want to go to school. Do, Do you want to go to work? You know, that... That minimum wage job you just start, I mean, it, you know, don't, if you don't feel like it, don't go. It, do you want to file your taxes this year? The federal government requires that you file your tax. Well, you don't feel like it, no problem. No problem. But for some reason, when it comes to God, we do this kind of thing all the time. And here's how I've heard parents justify it. Well, I want my kids, they say, I want my kids to decide for themselves what they think about God. Which means I'm not going to teach my kids anything. I'm going to let them decide when they grow up. Well, what I want to say is don't worry. They will decide. They will decide firmly against Jesus if you never share with them your relationship with Jesus. 
100% guaranteed. You've got to go public in your relationship with Jesus. And it's not just parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles. It's every single one of us. That's the call. Jesus said, go into the world. Make disciples. We are to go public in our relationship with Jesus, with our friends and our family and our neighbors and our co-workers. And that's what Joseph does later on after the crucifixion. The Holy Spirit, it seems to me, goes to work in Joseph's heart. And Joseph ends up doing something incredibly heroic. He goes to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, the man who just crucified Jesus and can crucify anyone he'd like to crucify, and he asks Pontius Pilate for Jesus' body. He wants to give Jesus a decent, honorable burial, and in doing so, Joseph of Arimathea goes public. It's an act of courage. There's no other way to put it, because it puts Joseph at great risk. The Sanhedrin, this ruling religious council, will not like it. The Romans will be suspect. And what about the crowds? Maybe they'll turn on Joseph, just like they did on Jesus. One minute they were crying, Hosanna, which means save us. And we'll talk more about that next week. And then a week later, they were not even a week later, they were crying out, crucify him. And I'm sure Joseph imagines all the possibilities, but like so many of the things we worry about, not very much of it happens. With Pilate's permission, we're told in the scriptures, he came and took the body away. Just no drama. What difference does Easter make? The death and resurrection of Jesus makes a relationship with God public. And like I said, Joseph of Arimathea goes public, and it costs him. Talked about his reputation. I'm sure it cost him his reputation with his colleagues on the Sanhedrin. It cost him money. The funeral business has always been a very mercenary business, very expensive. I mean, think about it. It's a guaranteed clientele, right? People won't always buy fast food. They won't always buy donuts. People will always die, right? And so you can charge what you'd like. And I'm sure it cost him a great deal. Here's a thought I never had before until studying this material this week. It also cost Joseph of Arimathea the Passover. Now, uh, what about that? We talked about the Passover last week. It's this massive annual Jewish festival. It's sort of the Christmas or Easter of the Jewish calendar. But if you want to celebrate the Passover, you have to be ritually clean. And touching a dead body makes a person categorically, categorically, ritually unclean. Okay? And so when Joseph carries the lifeless body of Jesus to the tomb, he's giving up the chance to celebrate the most important religious festival of the year. See, it's a big deal burying Jesus. It's a public act of worship. And it's very personal, too. Joseph lays Jesus in his own tomb. Families would share tombs in the first century, but it had never been used before. Nicodemus, uh, the Pharisee, another religious guy, a guy who had visited Jesus once under the cover of darkness so that none of his friends would see him, another secret follower of Jesus. Nicodemus provides the embalming spices. And the result is Jesus may have died like a criminal, but Joseph will not let him be buried like a criminal. Jesus is going to be buried like 
a king. Somehow, in some way, Joseph's death, Jesus' death rather, brings Joseph out of the closet. And he declares himself in front of the world, in front of the governing authority, in front of the religious leaders, he declares himself a follower of Jesus. Before Jesus was crucified, Joseph was comfortable following Jesus secretly. But after Jesus' death, after Joseph saw the way he died, Joseph will hide no longer. And so let me ask you today, is your relationship with God a public relationship? Is it public? And what, what, what do I mean by that? What I mean is, do the people in your life know you are following Jesus? Can they tell you are following Jesus? Because if we learn any from, anything from Joseph, it's this. There is no such thing at the end of the day. There is no such thing as a private relationship with God alone, secretly following Jesus. No, either the secrecy will destroy the Christ follower or the Christ follower will destroy the secrecy. Picture a young man down on one knee giving a marriage proposal. Now, I know some of you have never heard of this um, because that's not how people do it today. That's how I proposed to, to my wife. But now it's like two people, they're eating nachos on the couch watching Netflix and they're like, hey, you, you know, I guess we should get married. Okay. Yeah. So imagine a different time, a more romantic time. The guy gets down on his knees. He plans this big proposal She's actually surprised. She hasn't picked out the ring first. She's surprised. It's a wonderful surprise. Will you marry me? He asks. And she says, yes. She says, yes, I will marry you. But on one condition. Don't tell anyone about it. Huh? She says, I'll marry you. But on one condition... Don't tell anyone we're getting married because I don't want anyone to know that I settled for you. Marriage proposal over. Right? They're not going to get married. Not if he's got a brain between his ears. You see, as, just as we can't be private about a marriage, so we can no longer be private about Jesus. The world must know. We've got to go public about Jesus at school, at work, with our friends. How different things may have felt for Jesus if, 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 if Joseph had come out of the closet at his trial. But that didn't happen. No, in a way, Joseph missed his chance, but not his last chance. There was still the burial, and he was going to make the most of that opportunity. And we have all missed our chances, too. Even this week, I bet every single one of us, we have missed a chance, opportunity to tell others about Jesus. That's the bad news. But the good news is, because Jesus died for us, because he actually is risen from the dead, and the fact that he is risen from the dead has consequences to our lives, we get another chance, don't we? We get a chance even these next two weeks. And one of the best ways to go public in a relationship with God, to go public about your relationship with Jesus, is to invite someone to church. It's so simple. Like maybe fill out this card or whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do. 
to invite someone to celebrate Easter with you. Joseph was a person, as someone put it, for whom the cross did what not even the life of Jesus could do. When he had seen Jesus alive, he had felt his attraction to Jesus, but had gone no further. But when he saw Jesus die in the way he died, his heart was broken in love. First the centurion, then Joseph. The author concludes, it's an amazing thing how soon Jesus' words came true, that when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Church, this Easter season, let's lift up the cross of Jesus. Let's lift up the resurrection of Jesus because the crucifixion, that's just the start, isn't it? After Easter, there will be no stopping Jesus. And as we prepare for Easter, there will be no stopping Jesus because he doesn't stay in the tomb, does he? He just borrows it for the weekend. What difference does Easter make? Easter makes a relationship with God public. And so my question again is, are you ready to make Jesus public this Easter? If so, pray about who it is God wants you to invite. Fast with that person in mind during Holy Week. And then start inviting in the manner the Holy Spirit tells you to invite. Go public. Let's pray. Father, we uh, confess to you that we have kept Jesus, our best kept secret. We have kept Jesus to ourselves. Empower us in this moment with your Holy Spirit. And not just in this moment, but throughout these next two weeks. Empower us with your Holy Spirit to go public with Jesus this Easter. At work, at school, on our social media platforms, at home, with our family. To take that risk. And to invite. Bless every brother and sister here as they do so. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks for watching. I want to let you know about three things that you can do. First, you can locate discussion questions for this message on our page so you can do some independent study or talk with a group to help you process. Then, follow us on Vimeo or iTunes so you don't miss a single message. Better yet, join us in person Saturdays at 5 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Finally, if you are feeling this ministry and you want to help advance the mission of helping people become who God purposed them to be, you can click the link to give. Your generosity brings hope, healing, and radical transformation to people all over the world. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.